This is an ABC podcast. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Sanctum for another week. The pictures from the footy tell a tale of two cities with 75,000 at the G for Essendon and Collingwood and zero in the stands for Frio North as W8 live through a COVID lockdown. Meanwhile, in Queensland, I hope you saw it, the Brisbane Lions were handed the keys to the city and their mascots joined them on a river cruise. My name is Emma Race and joining me with the whim-away, whim-aways as the lion gets seasick tonight are my Sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Rana Hussain. Hello, it's Lucy Race here. It's lovely to see you, my ladybirds. Coming up on the show, we're going to catch up with Hester Brown, host of Significant Others podcast. She's going to chat with us about abolishing the term WAG and hub life. Uh, she lived through that with her partner, Ben Brown, formerly of North Melbourne, now of the winning Melbourne Demons. We cannot wait to catch up with her. But let's talk about the highlights from the round. It was the first week with no women's footy in the uh, major competition, but of course all of the state leagues and grassroots footy is back as well. Lucy, what caught your eye? Look, I have to say congratulations to Melbourne and to the Bulldogs who are sitting on top of the ladder six and zero. That's pretty good. And I'm pretty happy about that. About as happy as you can be when it's not your team. You know, it's a dystopian world when that's the case, right? I know. And look, the Bulldogs were way too good for the Giants on Friday night, but unfortunately it did come at an injury cost. And I think we all shared a collective groan when we saw Lin Jong get injured again. But Josh Dunkley is going to miss a couple of months with a shoulder injury and Tim English is out with concussion, so he'll miss next week. Melbourne, it's the first time I really watched them the other night. Um, first time I watched them for this season the other night, and I thought they were a bit more Richmondy than Richmond. Right? They <laughs> beat them agree? at their, their own game. Yeah, they seem like the real deal. And it was such a highlight to see Nathan Jones play his 300th. He is somebody who had only had 98 wins out of those 300, so I admire him for his stick to <laughs> Intuitiveness. That is a word. Yes. And my other highlight is Riley Tilthorpe kicking five goals on debut. Amazing. Can I say something that I think people are thinking but no one's saying? Do Richmond know how to lose nicely? Oh, what a question. They certainly looked undisciplined, <laughs> didn't they? A little tiny bit. Okay, you know I'm hot for mascot, so I'm going to come back to you with a little bit of mascot watch because I said at the top of the show that, of course, the mascots were included when the Lions got the keys to the city and, of course, the mascot should be there. I got but the, the keys to the city, <laughs> baby. Exactly. Has to be done. singing it all week. <laughs> the keys to the city is as close to a grand final parade as we've got for the AFL. So I just wanted to do a massive shout out to the city of Brisbane for really bringing it to celebrate their women's team. And it made me think if I was given the keys to the city, I would definitely lose them. (laughs) 
And I also thought, you know, you don't go to, uh, this is just a shout out, a community service announcement for the Brisbane players. Don't accidentally take those keys to a key party because what Ooh. that sets up is a very uh, possibly awkward, sexy time <laughs> tryst with the story bridge for someone. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what, what does the keys to the city mean and what would you do if you had the keys to the city, Rana? Uh, well, I actually don't know what it means. Like, what does it mean? Does anybody know? Is there a definition? Of- I feel like it's as close to what what's the definition of number one ticket holder. Yeah, I right. think the ticket and the keys are the, the same fake ticket. And the Moomba King keys. and Queen. And the Moomba King and Queen. Exactly. I reckon I would use that kind of power to um, cause, like, happy chaos. So just kind of have... In the middle of lockdown, when I was homeschooling, my favourite thing to do was to just pause schooling, put a song on and just dance. And I think everybody needs that in the middle of their day. So I think that's what I would do. You want them to be doing some, like, flash mob business right? just down in the, the middle of mall. your day yeah. if, like, Tina Turner came on <laughs> and everybody just had to stop and, and get down. What would you do, Lucy, you get the keys to the that. city? I couldn't beat that. No, okay. I'm still stuck on the idea that in 2020, are they keys or are they electronic keypads? 2021 even. 2021. Mm. Uh, no, I think it's facial recognition, surely, yeah, to open surely. the city of the Brisbane. The security code to the city. <laughs> Rana, what was your highlight from the weekend? Oh, look, uh, not entirely footy related, but MCG related. We got to break our fast at the MCG Uh it's Ramadan at the moment. Muslims everywhere are fasting for the month of Ramadan. And uh, the Bashahuli Foundation, in partnership with the MCC, held an iftar, which is the nightly breaking of the fast where we basically stuff our faces because we <laughs> haven't eaten all day. Uh, and it's an annual thing. And last year we didn't get to do it. And so I got to go to the MCG, break my fast with my community and see people I haven't seen in over a year. And it was so nice. And I've always felt like the G is my home. Even before I worked in football, it just felt like that to me. And then being able to do this made it feel even more homey. Did the men go to prayer time at the G and then come to IFTA? Or how does it happen? Because it happens at the same time as prayer time, right? Yes. So we all got there. We sat down, heard some speeches, broke our fast, all went and prayed together and then came back and then really Do men and women pray together? Yes, oh. in congregation, yeah. Why did I think it was separate? We sometimes do it in separate rooms. We do a lot of, very similar to indigenous, a lot of Indigenous culture, we have women's business and men's business. So there is a bit of segregation, but when we're praying in congregation, we do it together. Thank you for bringing us that. It looked beautiful. The photos were incredible, and I'm looking forward to iftar at your house very shortly. Oh, yeah, better get cooking. I'm going to totally stuff my face. In other very good news, we read last week about some tools from Facebook that aim to protect players from online abuse, including racial racist messages on Instagram. We thought it was a great time to catch up with the Executive General Manager of Inclusion and Social at the AFL, Tanya Hosh. We welcome her. How are you, Tanya? Um, Not too bad, thank you. How are you all? We're really well. We're really keen for you to tell us um, what what will be the changes and and how did this come about? Well, I know that... uh... The AFL isn't the only organisation and I'm certainly not the only individual that has been in conversation with uh, the different platforms around these really serious issues where people can be vilified online. Um, So, you know, they've obviously been listening, which is great news. Um, I'm a bit of a philistine when it comes to... um, (laughs) Me, social media and technology in general. So I'm probably not going to be the best explainer of what they've done here, unfortunately. <laughs> but what they have done is um, for the Instagram platform, they've created a way uh, where anybody can 
um, user tool that's now well, will be available in a couple of weeks' time that will allow you to identify words, phrases, emojis that you don't want to see appear on any of your posts. They will then go into a separate folder that you can choose to look at or not. If you do choose to look at it, then you've got that data and information there that will enable you to report it. Um, and um, Or you can choose never to look at it at all. But what you will do is know that, you know, nor yourself, your family members or any of your followers are going to see that hate speech um, on any of your posts. So that's a, a really positive start. And I know that they're also um, introducing something that will make it much harder for people to set up um, multiple false accounts. Hey, Tanya, it's Rana. Well done on getting this across the line. What role did the AFL play in making this happen? Oh, look, I don't know that we can take any direct credit for it, but I know that um, I've been in a position to continue a dialogue with them for some time, um, starting a couple of years ago now. So it was definitely pre-COVID that uh, my colleagues in AFL Media uh, established an opportunity for me to meet with some of the key people in policy at Facebook. I've since joined their hate speech advisory committee and also their Indigenous advisory committee. So these have been ongoing conversations for some time. And, of course, we've also been engaging with Julie Inman-Grant, the eSafety Commissioner, to express our concerns just about, you know, just how much this is and also how how harmful this material is. I think that people undersell the the impact of, of hate speech online and all of our players are doing their jobs. They're trying to connect with their fans, which is what we all want to be able to do. Um, and so they really shouldn't be subjected to racist, sexist or any other sort of vilification that uh, people want to throw at them. Tanya, it's Lucy here. And I wanted to ask you about joining forces with the eSafety Commission. Uh, the Play It Fair online campaign was launched a little while ago. What do you want fans to know about that and what can fans do? Well, what fans can do is think about their own behaviours online and try and help, you know, establish a standard for what is appropriate engagement online. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, people type before they think and don't always take into account that the online environment is one that should be safe just like any other environment that anyone else hosts, whether you're going to a game or engaging online. And also to spread the message about how important it is to um, play it safe online. The eSafety Commission has um, a great amount of information on their website and a whole range of tools to help guide people in those conversations. So to promote that message of playing it safe online is going to be really important because I think what we all want to see ultimately is the critical mass of us really turning our back on that kind of hate speech online and I think the more of us that stand for that the less likely it is over time that uh, some of this other hateful communication will draw the same attention and you know be spread further. Tanya I feel so relieved with this news and I'm interested to know though because it seems like a no-brainer to me but can you take us into what it actually takes to get change like this happening? Well, I think it just always, any change starts with a conversation and persistent conversations, I think. Um, and, you know, obviously social media platforms uh, are huge. They've got um, an enormous number of people using them. 
And so they've got really complex policy issues to think through in terms of privacy, um, freedom of speech and all of those other expectations and values that I think most of us hold dear. And then when it comes to actually having to police some of that behaviour um, can be really difficult. So certainly the AFL has been able to establish some good relationships where we are now you know, more able to work with the platforms to try and get posts removed, offensive material removed more quickly, but that can still be problematic. But certainly we're not in a position to ask for identifying information because of privacy laws and things like that. So really, I think, you know, we just have to continue to send the message to the platforms that we want them to work harder on putting more protections in place. And it's not just for players, it's for the public as well. We all deserve to be able to exercise our freedom online without the fear of any kind of abuse or, or trolling or, or harassment. So it's always about a conversation, engaging, and just trying to make sure that the platforms know that you're watching, you're waiting, and you're staying engaged with them to support them to go down this path. Before we let you go, Tanya, I just wanted to ask you what your highlight from the AFLW season was because we saw you at a couple of games and there was a lot to like. What stood out to you? I think I was just can't get that uh, goal by Courtney. <laughs> Courtney <laughs> and it was just such a great celebration also with the AFLW Awards to see two Indigenous women win Mark of the Year and Goal of the Year. Um, a bit reminiscent of what we've seen with um, Indigenous men in the Brownlow. That was um, a pretty special moment because that's the first time that's happened um, and I hope we see more of it as we see more Indigenous players coming through AFLW. Absolutely. If we all go to get Courtney Hodder goal tattoos, do you want us to swing past and pick you up on the way? Uh, no. But, um, I'm not that taken with it, um, but I've been very happy to keep watching it on replay. It's just a classic moment. It was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tanya. Thanks for having me. That was Tanya Host from the AFL. Coming up, we're speaking to Hester Brown, host of The Significant Others. You're listening to The Outer Sanctum. All right, let's roll up our sleeves and melee ladies. Lucy, what have you got for us? Well, look, it turns out that making women's sport visible is the key to helping it grow. And if we do this, the money will follow. So this is the key takeaway from some research that came out of the UK last week. The study is called Closing the Visibility Gap, and it contains so much gold for sporting organisations, clubs and media organisations in Australia too. The research found that visibility of women's sport is often patchy and that while sports fans are interested in watching women's sport, they're not actually always consuming it broadly or deeply. And that means that there's massive potential for growth. And I think we've felt this intuitively. We see this played out all over the place. One of the really key points that resonated for me out of this research is that for women's sport to thrive, purpose and profit need to be aligned. And that means treating women's sport as a long-term driver of business success, as well as being the right thing to do. But it also means not just approaching it through the commercial frameworks and measurements 
that we use for men's sport because then you run the risk of writing it off as a poor business decision. So it's a real balancing act. It's fascinating to see this research because we've had a hunch of all these things and we've witnessed these things um, IRL from the outer and from the field. But to actually have this embedded in research is so great. Absolutely. And look, there has been some research that we've seen that's local. Um, Vic Health did a great report. But I don't know, did you guys pick out some of the areas that really resonated for you? Yeah, I loved this report because as someone who works in this space and and is constantly asked to uh, build the business case around inclusion, I will definitely be using this report and I would love to see an Australia-wide report that is similar. Something that really stood out to me was the fact that men do watch women's sport. We're often lobbed with the argument that, oh, men won't be interested in this, but actually they do. This report shows it. And so I love that now I've got the stats to prove that. I actually was looking at the issues that I wanted to bring to the table today. There's been a couple that piqued my interest during the week that I thought would be interesting um, to talk about here. And all of them were kind of identified and discussed in this report. So the first thing that I wanted to raise was that the Herald Sun featured AFLW players on its front page during the week. And that was fantastic. But the image that they used and the reason why they platformed them was because it was the AFLW Awards, which is great. But it means that the only time that these women have appeared on the front page of the Herald Sun this year has been because they were glammed up in informal dresses, not because they were playing the sport. And in this report actually says images of women athletes in action drive more people to engage as opposed to lifestyle pieces. So I was interested with that synergy. The other thing that has been an ongoing issue this week is um, in Victoria, the local um, VFL competition men's and women's is back and the app keeps updating for the men's scores but women's scores haven't been available and it's been a really big issue for the last you know couple of weeks here but it's really hit a critical mass we spoke to the AFL this week and they said that they will have it repaired by this weekend's games and they said it's not a reflection of their commitment to the VFLW competition it was just an error it was something that was going wrong in the back end and then taking control of it and it will be fixed by this weekend but one of the things out of this report that I thought was really interesting and in alignment was that it showed that you must build on the digital heritage of women's sport and make sure that all digital assets and fixtures and results are up to date and easily accessible. And actually it goes on to make the point, this report, that competitions that are fledgling or growing, they should be put on the main platforms because people will go and seek out the big games regardless of where they are on smaller platforms. So, you know, don't put us on the, don't put the women's game on the, on the mate channel, put it on the main channel because that's how people kind of get to know the game through osmosis. And the final thing that I wanted to raise was we got an email this week from a listener in WA who contacted us during the Frio North match. She was noticing that there were zero women commentating the game. So no women sirens siren in 2021. She said it was sitting really badly with her and she took time during the game to write letters of complaint to the broadcaster and I think she wanted to contact the AFL as well. And it raises a point, Rana, that you pulled out of the report where you must use female athletes in the coverage of men's sport and vice versa because there is interest across. And so I thought it was really interesting and timely that this report is actually answering all of the issues and the things that are getting under our skin across the zeitgeist on Twitter. It's so interesting that basically this report is saying build it and they will come, which is what we've all been talking about for so long and saying, actually, just make it happen and we'll be there. Uh, The other thing that was really interesting to me in this report is that uh, in the UK, at least, they've seen that 
it's in individual sports that women seem to turn up and be most recognisable. And I'm just interested to see how that will now translate when we see more women playing team sports. Absolutely. And interesting news overnight as well that um, the Netball World Cup is coming to Australia. So that means Australia is now about to host Netball World Cup, Basketball World Cup, FIFA Women's Soccer World Cup. Australia is a place to be for a woman in sport right now. And uh, I think we all need to rise to the challenge. Of course, this weekend was also the Anzac Day game, Rana. What did you make of it? Were you at the game? I went to Anzac Eve, uh, which I do love. It's a really lovely atmosphere, you know, the torches and the lights, and it's quite a sombre moment. Um, I did notice that I felt a little bit distant to the ceremonial stuff, and and it didn't really resonate for me as an individual. But I did notice the people around me really got, got into it and there was clearly a lot of emotion around this game for them. And I it made me think about other themed games that I do feel a connection to. And then when I hear people say, oh, why do we need a pride round? Or why do we do dream time in the first place? And I thought, okay, I'm now sitting on the other side of this and I'm here and I'm accepting it and enjoying it. And it made me think next time I hear somebody say, why do we need a pride round? I'm going to point to Anzac Day and say, you know what? We do Anzac Day. And that seems quite politically fraught too. So I just sort of think, oh, we sometimes have a bit of amnesia when it comes to theme games. It's interesting. I don't have a huge connection to Anzac Day. We don't have anyone that served from our family that we're close to. And so we've never had that. We're not a military family at all. So I haven't really had that connection, but it has been a gateway to education, I guess, in the way that the Indigenous round is also a gateway to education. I think I see, I think I see it through the prism of that. Lucy? I agree. And I think what's interesting is that sometimes when we really just sort of focus on symbols, we forget to do that deep dive and to really I guess, engage at quite a a deep level with what we're actually talking about. And my only, um, I guess one of my my feelings about having Anzac Day um, so tied to football in in so many ways is that does that actually allow us to really think quite carefully about what we're commemorating or are we just, I guess, glossing over with some of the, the pageantry and symbols Mm. and I think that's probably where I sit with it. I think I'm sitting in the same seat as you Lucy. The thing it made me think about as well is in terms of theme games in general what they actually mean to us and what's their purpose and I think about before there was AFLW clubs and the AFL used to have women's lunches and women's fan clubs and and now we don't see that stuff because we don't need it because we have equity or we're getting there. And so I just wonder, you know, as much as I love a themed game, I kind of hope that one day we get to the point where we actually don't need that representation and we don't need those symbols when it comes to sport. Well, maybe maybe we'll grow out of them. Maybe one day we won't need the Pride game because there'll be total acceptance and it will be very weird that we're, you know, shining a light on something that that has already been fully integrated and accepted. And I guess that's the hope of these games, right? Is that kind of the, the, is that the point of them? I think it is, but I think Anzac Day sits separately to that because it's more to do with commemoration Mm. and, and history. So I, I don't think that it sits in exactly the same place. 
Mm, very interesting watch this space. We did also want to shout out to our Western Australian fans. It was really strange to see um, over in Fremantle no crowds and the um, and the AFL having to respond really quickly. Nothing like a snap lockdown to remind us that we are living through a global pandemic, that the MCG was the first place in the world to welcome back that many sports fans. People from the other side of the world must be looking at us right now and thinking, how is this even possible? And, you know, not even the other side of the world, the other side of the country when we're thinking about Victoria and Western Australia. So I think we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that this year's fixture may, you know, may be thrown up in the air at any moment, Lucy. Well, we're still unsure whether the game with North Melbourne is going to go ahead in Tasmania this weekend um, or whether that will be moved to, I think they're playing Melbourne, whether that will be um, played in Melbourne. But I also can't stop thinking about what's happening in India. And I know that this is emotional for you, Rana, but we saw Pat Cummins today come out and say that he's made a donation um, and that he cares very deeply about the country that he's playing IPL in at the moment. And um, it's, it's hard to imagine that IPL is still going ahead. Yeah, it's deeply emotional for me. I've lost two family members uh, with COVID-related deaths. And I have wondered about why is the IPL going ahead? But then reading what Pat Cummins wrote, which is that we're doing this because the people are inside their homes and they need something. And we know how much cricket means to Indians. And that kind of made me realise, actually, yes, I know what footy meant to me last year when we had nothing else. And so I love that I love that he came out and said that and that he's actually putting his money where his mouth is as well. Your appointment to Cricket Australia is already reaping re- rewards. We see, <laughs> we can see your influence already, Rana. And condolences to your family, of course. Coming up, we speak to Hester Brown. Our next guest, Hester Brown, is an Our Watch ambassador, a voice for gender equality, and she has a platform via the Significant Others podcast, which she co-founded and hosts with Marty Dangerfield. As partners of footballers, they use their voice to dismantle the WAG stereotype and they offer a different conversation from their unique perspective. Hester is also a marriage celebrant and Lucy just asked her if she could marry us. And the truth is, <laughs> Hester, could you marry us right now? <laughs> I could marry one of you to Rana. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Um, We are so thrilled that you're here, Hester, and we love watching you. You share a lot of your life on socials and you're also really open about the things that you think about. They're often a really different perspective from what other players, partners think. And we recently noticed the Daily Mail trawls through your Instagram account to write articles about what you think. I wanted to know, does that clip your wings in sharing your life? Mm, What an honour to be followed by the Daily Mail (laughs) on Instagram. Um, Yeah, you know, like it does a little bit. I kind of don't really, I don't really feel like I'm interesting enough to write articles about. I got a message the other day on Instagram, actually, I just shared something of the kids doing something funny and someone messaged me and said, oh, it's so refreshing to see somebody's house just littered with toddler toys. (laughs) And first of all, I was like, oh, should I be, like, offended or embarrassed? Like, I don't have one of those, like, beautiful, amazingly fresh and clean, fancy houses. And then I was kind of like, nah. You know what I mean? And I don't think anyone's going to write an article about that either. No one's going to be sitting around going, ooh, 
Hester Brown has messy lounge room. (laughs) (laughs) Hester, something that I know you do have an opinion about is the term WAG. Why should this term be retired? First of all, like, I think it's pretty boring and lazy. And the reason why that article about me was written in the first place is because they could use the word WAG in the tagline and therefore get clicks on it, which I think is not the best journalism. But I think there's a lot of problems with the term WAG. And sometimes people will say like, oh, there are so many more important things in the world. Why are you focusing on something like that? Especially something that, you know, affects in air quotes, majority, like privileged females um, who, you know, um, have it pretty good by all other, by all other reckonings. But it means something more than that. And I think my work with Our Watch in primary learning about primary prevention for, you know, violence against women and children is that the words we use are really important. So when you hear the word WAG, it's a derogatory, derogatory acronym that's created to make people feel like, you know, the partners of professional sports people are this type of other that belong to men don't have their own agency, you know, there's stereotypes involved in that, you know, not intelligent, um, all about looks, trophy wife, all of that kind of stuff is connected to that and all of those kind of derogatory terms are there to belittle women and affect the way we we talk about women, which is terrible and untrue. We should be recognising that we have this great diversity of people in every walk of life. If, if anyone goes and thinks about their workplace and the partners of all the people who work there, I'm sure what everyone would say was that they're all different. They're not all the same. I think that's just, that's how it is. It's the same in footy. And I think what people expect to see is so different to the truth. I remember when Ben first got drafted, people used to ask me all the time, like, oh, have you met any wags? What are the wags like? Or once my neighbour came up to me and was like, oh, but you look normal. <laughs> I was like, um... Thanks. Do you mean I don't look like a supermodel? Or or even sometimes people will say to me, like, you're a breath of fresh air, which is a funny one because it's kind of saying that other people aren't. And I think we also can't, you know, everyone's different. Not all footballers' wives are models, um, case in point me. But also if they are models, good for them. That's a genuine career that you can have. If you are a fashion influencer, that's a genuine career that you can have. And it's this weird thing I find where even people who would consider themselves staunch feminists sometimes have this huge gap in their feminism in that they think the women who are married to sports people are exempt from that. I wanted to ask you, Hester, is there something that you want the public but also footy clubs to know about the experience of being a partner of a player? I think from the public, I would like them to understand how we're all different and all have our own stories and things going on. And and I think as well that we haven't asked for the attention that comes with this. When Marty and I launched our podcast, um, it got on the front page of the Herald Sun. And that's part of the reason for starting the podcast is that there will always be interest in the partners of well-known people. It's like I really, I really don't know why, but it, it will always be there. Like, that's bizarre. We started a podcast and they put it on the front page of the paper. It's not really news. Um, no offence to us. But, <laughs> but we got a lot of comments after that. And Marty, Marty copped a lot of them because she has a lot more of a um, lot more followers online than I do. I'm quite lucky in my little corner. 
um, she copped a lot more comments of people saying like, oh, stop asking for attention and like you just you just want all this, you just want people to think about you. And it's actually really the opposite to that. It's really more like for me, I felt like I had to take up that position. I felt like I had to get involved with our watch in the front rather than just in the background. I felt like I had to do something about the fact that this bizarre situation gives me this platform where people do want to hear what I think about things, mm. but not for the right reasons. Like I actually think I have I have lots to give um, and, you know, I have expertise in certain areas as do all of these other partners that we're platforming, but often not on the things that we're spoken about for. Mm. And that's the thing partners are often spoken about or spoken for but not spoken to. Even someone like Marty whose, you know, partner has, you know, possibly the biggest platform in the game, articles will be written about, you know, Patrick Dangerfield said this and it's probably because he's got a wife at home or kids or his wife will have wanted him to do this or when he moved from Adelaide to Melbourne was that because Marty wanted to go home. And even though, you know, a lot of those journalists would have Marty's number or people talking about it would be able to think about her instead of just assuming that's not what they do. And that's really frustrating. It's really frustrating to be spoken for when you're an intelligent woman and you know what you have to say or should have the right not to. And it's one thing to say, oh, you're asking for attention. But in terms of my preferences, on the top is like not having any attention. And then number two is if I have to have it, being in control of it. Mm. So it's not really it's not really about that at all. I'd, I'd much rather sink into the background, but I think it's not really an option. And particularly when you talk about gender equality, you know, there's that saying that like, what is it? All great men are have a great woman behind them or something like that. But why do they have to be behind them? Like if we have these great people out there, then why aren't there? If their partners are contributing to that, then you only continue that stereotype of women being underneath men if you don't come forward. I want to change course here a little bit and ask you about moving clubs. You've gone from North Melbourne to Melbourne Footy Club. Is it a bit like getting remarried? What, what is that process like for you? Well, I've never been remarried, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about this in the car the other day. I think it is a bit like a breakup. Um, and when I was saying, you know, being a partner of a football is a bit of a bizarre world, it is um, a really weird career in that your partners are and family are sort of expected to be involved. I think a lot of people's jobs don't have that. Like, you know, um, there's no... Uh, wedding season launch for the husbands of marriage celebrants that Ben goes to. <laughs> you know, it's bizarre <laughs> to think about, right? But there should be. <laughs> there should be. Um, like it's a pretty bizarre thing to think about. So you do and you, you can end up getting quite involved. I was really involved in North Melbourne. I was like the only unpaid member of their gender equality working group. Um, I was a volunteer at the huddle for a really long time until I had kids. I actually had my baby shower at the club, in the huddle room, you know, we did a lot there together. And I met Ben one month before he was drafted. All of our relationship pretty much was at North Melbourne. All of our house has littered in blue and white things that we've been gifted over the years. I've almost got rid of most of it. I just can't bear to get rid of the gorgeous little big teddy that the cheer squad gave us. That's <laughs> a little number 50 on the back. So that's still there. But I'm trying to slowly do that relationship declutter because it makes you sad to look at it. It is like a relationship. You do feel really hurt when, you know, someone doesn't want you anymore. Um, yeah. So 
I think it is. It's very emotional and it does, it does like a relationship make you think, do I put my heart back out there again? Um, Melbourne are so fantastic and I think Ben feels like he's fitting in really great and they're winning lots of football games, which is confusing for me. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Whoops. Confusing for a lot of us. <laughs> but, um, you know, you do sort of feel like, do I put my heart out there? Do I get involved? Um, and for me, it's really hard not to. I'm definitely, um, I was going to say a meddler, but that's a bit harsh. I'm definitely like somebody who likes to help out. We've just got a new female president, Kate Ruffy, which is super exciting. I couldn't help myself. I emailed her straight away and I was like, let me know if you need any help. I saw she did an interview saying that she wanted to make the club as inclusive as possible and bring everyone along for the journey. And I was like, hello, I'm qualified. Can I help you? And then I remembered, I was like, no, you were going to hold back and, you know, keep your heart safe. Whoops. <laughs> Hester, thank you so much. Your voice from the outer is such an important one. We really champion those voices here and we love seeing you. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Usually here we would uh, have final business. It's like a community notice board. But what we want to do going into the AFLM is we love hearing the news, the good news that comes from the outer. We want to do a shout out to the outer. A shout outer? A shout outer. A shout outer. A shout to the outer about milestones that are being achieved like these moments of greatness being achieved by people who are listening and subscribing to our podcast. And we put a shout out to the outer um, on Instagram and we want to hear from your footy club or from your kids' footy club or your partner's footy club or your mum's footy club. And there was a couple of amazing milestones that came across our desk this week and we're going to give them a shout out from the outer now, Lucy. This milestone comes from someone who is pretty dear to us, and that is Meg Hutchins, who played her 250th on the weekend. She didn't actually know that it was her 250th <laughs> game and was a little bit surprised when the Hawks VFLW team had tribute for her beforehand. She spoke after the game and paid tribute to all of the women who've gone before her and mentioned, you know, some of the jobs that they used to do back in the day, like, you know, going around and picking up the dog poop before they played, <laughs> which is a job that needs to be done. To be fair, I think that still happens out in the community. <laughs> Woody, congratulations Absolutely. to Meg. What have you got, Rana? Oh, big hello and congratulations to Prue Cords this weekend, who will play her 50th game for the Muggers Melbourne Uni Women's Footy Club and her 250th senior game. And an extra special shout out to her feet because apparently she kicks an identical left and right kick. That's amazing. Well done, Prue. That's incredible. And I've got a shout out. This came to us from the Blackburn Footy Club Masters team. They had their jumper presentation and Julie Hoskins was presented her first ever footy jumper by her dad, who like her, wore the number 10 for Blackburn. Her dad is in his 90s. Her family's been connected to the club since 1955. She has been there to support her brothers and her dad for all those years and this is her very first season. Congratulations, Julie. Number 10 forever you go get it, girl. If you would like us to feature a milestone from your footy club, please get in touch via our socials. Is there any other uh, final business, ladies? Uh, no, my little one started Auskick for the very first time, so that was a very proud moment for me. It's so a shout out to Hawa. And I'm hoping that we make a return to junior footy after having a bit of an injury start to the season for my son. Mm, I may have some football news, but I'm just going to sit on it for a little while and keep you all guessing. But for now, I just wanted to congratulate Rana, who's saying she has been appointed to Cricket Australia, where she will be working 
in what's your title going to be? Diversity and Inclusion Manager. Lucky them, lucky them. So Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you so much to Tanya Hosh from the AFL and also to Hester Brown. Thanks for joining us. You can continue the conversation on all of our socials, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We love hearing from you. Please rate and review us. So many of you have in the last week and it makes us all cry. We screenshot it and send it around and all do a happy dance in our lounge room. So please keep up the interaction. We really need it and we really love you. Uh, there's only one thing left to say and that is... Go, Go footy! footy!